Goku. And when I'm out hunting the Dragon Balls and ignoring Bulma's dirty old fanny, I'm listening to the I Know You Hear Me podcast with the Earth's strongest podcaster, Flynn Hendricks. Are you needing some decals made? Maybe some vinyl or monograms? Then you need to go check out my wife's Etsy shop at Decals by Kins. That's K-Y-N-S. Go over to Etsy.com slash shop slash Decals by Kins and you can check that in the show notes as well and see what she's done for other people and see what she can do for you. And I'm speaking from experience here. All of my water bottles, my protein bottles, they all have something that she's printed and put on there and those things last. So if you need something like that for a gift, for your family, for your kids, or even for yourself go check out what she can do for you and as a special treat for my listeners if you use the promo code flynn that's f-l-y-n-n she's even going to get you 10 percent off your order now you can't beat that so go check it out and see what she can do for you and i know you hear me welcome back everybody come on in get comfy put your favorite headphones in kick your shoes off give yourself a break you know what this is already it's the i know you hear me podcast with yours truly flynn hendricks and the train keeps a rolling, so you might as well strap in for the ride and have some fun. And if this is your first time on, let me ask, did somebody refer you? Did uh, you hear about us through social media? Are you enticed yet to hit that almighty subscribe button? My engineer over here is saying no, I'm about to smack him. Silence, Jeff. But um, no, in all seriousness, guys, if this is your first episode, I do encourage you to go hit that subscribe button. Or if you're a longtime listener that just hasn't done it yet but checks in every Friday, by all means, please go hit that subscribe button. Leave that five-star review. We're on all podcasting platforms, just like my other podcast, Tales from the Haunt. Now, if you're waiting for some things that are oh-so-spooky in that little gap between October 31st and October 31st of the next year, go check this podcast out because we got your spooky fix there. But what I'm getting at is subscribe to these podcasts because we love bringing them to you and we want to keep them going and we want to get the word out there. The audience is growing, the worldwide numbers are coming in, and I'm still in awe of how these are growing. But man, it's so cool to see that you guys are enjoying these conversations so far. And maybe in the meantime, you might want to hear about a couple things in my world that are going on. Um, I'm assuming I can say that I did security work for the secretary of the VA today. I don't know, I guess. By the time you hear this, it'll be well past in the rearview mirror. Maybe Secret Service won't take me out. I don't know. I also wrestled for 30 minutes in a pitch black citywide blackout. Didn't get beat. Still left with a title. I don't care what the record books or Jeff says. Jeff, get out. I still made it happen, and that was a first for me getting ready to go into the SummerSlam pay-per-view this weekend, which, again, will have passed. Go check it out on Peacock. Maybe you'll see me on TV. I don't know yet. I'm not a future teller or fortune teller, What, whatever you call it. I'm good with words. I promise. But anyway, guys, that's what's going on with me. I'm also sleep-deprived, but I'm also a man that has merch to keep this show afloat. So if you want shirts, if you want shout-outs, if you want 8x10s, we've got you covered. You just have to check my show notes because we can ship things to you directly. You can go to my Pro Wrestling Tees store, or you can just direct message us on social media, ask for those shout-outs. We'll get it to you. And then on top of that, if you get your merch and you take a picture and tag us in it, not only will we shout you out on social media, we'll shout you out to our growing audiences around the world, and everybody will know your name. They'll know you're in with Flynn, and they'll know that you're cool. So, I mean, that's a win-win. 
But here's the part that's really special to me. If you do that, you will also be helping to benefit the Nashville Humane Society and protecting those ever so adorable fur babies, or you can also help benefit the Peter Mayhew Foundation. I'll make a donation to either one of those in your name with a portion of every sale. You just have to let me know where you want that money to go. So that sounds like a win, uh, wouldn't you say, Jeff? He's giving the thumbs up over there, so yeah, that's a win. But man, on top of that too, I think another win... I, I know a couple people you should check out in the meantime, and I also know... Um, that I do uh, some some coaching now. Fun times, right? So if you're in, if you're somebody that doesn't know how to get into something like professional wrestling, or maybe what acting coaches to look for, or how you start a podcast, I am your guy. Check the show notes. I'm not an actual like I'm not qualified to teach you how to do these things, but I can tell you where to start. I can help get you on the right path so that you know you're going to be set up for success and you're going to have somebody in your corner that wants you to succeed. So check the show notes if that's something you're interested in. Or if you need decals, go check out my wife's store, uh, Decals by Ken's on Etsy shop. And that way I don't get hit with a frying pan in the process. Check hers out because I use her decals on my protein shakers, on my water bottles. And I'm sure you heard the ads at the start of the show. These are quality things. She's made over a thousand sales in just two months on Etsy. And it has taken off, guys. So if you need some quality decal and vinyl and monograms, go check it out. And now I have got another awesome guest, man. I swear, Eric Horowitz, former guest of this show, we might as well just dub him Agent Eric. He sent me another person that I've been excited to interview for a while now. And this is somebody that, again, man, that ever so wonderful Bloomvox community comes into play here because this is where I first became aware of her and... We didn't really have a lot of interactions in there until well on into the fact. And then, of course, Eric, we started referencing the Pochki Audio Chronicles on his episode. And now I'm I'm literally interviewing the entire cast, and I am so excited to do so. So let me make sure I give her the introduction that she is well due. So not only is she a voice actor, as I mentioned, she's also a member of the Pochki Audio Chronicles family. She's an artist. She's a singer. She used to be an English teacher. And just like me, she's a manga, anime, and sci-fi geek. So she's got a couple things in there that are right up my alley. So I know this is going to be a fun conversation. It is my pleasure to have on the show tonight, Vonnie Neal. Vonnie, thank you for fighting through the technical difficulties and being here with me tonight. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Oh, of course, of course. And man, like I said, it seems like... Uh, technology be damned, we're going to make this happen. So I'm, I'm just excited to actually get to chat with you and get to know you a little bit better. So am I. Man, I'm looking oh, forward to this. Perfect, perfect. So let's let's jump right into the deep end then. Take me back to the very beginning where, you know, your love of acting, sci-fi, anime, all this stuff. Where did all this world start for you? Oh, goodness. Uh, we're going to have to go all the way back to, I think, middle school or high school. Uh, no, I've, I've always loved acting, uh, mm -hmm. but I think that it wasn't until I really started to get to perform, you know, in, in um, school plays and things like that, where I really felt like this was where I fit in. But I found mm -hmm. myself being drawn to voices a lot, especially because I just loved animation, loved anime, and I would pay very close attention to voices, and I'd want to emulate some of that. So. Sure. It kind of started at a very early age. I was always entertaining my friends as a kid. I would tell stories and I would have to do each voice. And um, it was really, I, I feel like that's 
the love of it has always been there. But I think once I actually got on stage and I had more opportunities, it it started to really become this almost like a an extension of who I am, you know, Absolutely. where this was something that I just do. I love it. So a, a few questions I want to uh, unpack from that. Like the first one, before you got into like, you know, the, the plays and everything, were you a typically, you know, quiet, kind of shy person? Were you introverted or were you already kind of outgoing and this was just another way to express yourself? I think this was a way that helped me express my express myself. I would say that I, I, I never had problems playing by myself in the playground. Right. Uh, in fact, uh, I would have, I think, even teachers or other people, are you lonely? Would you like a playmate? And I was just, no, I was totally chilling here in the monkey bars. I don't really, uh, so I was naturally, I would say introverted, but, uh, because I used to tell stories, that was just, that was just how I expressed myself. You know, then the teachers would say, Hey, we have, you know, someone who's really lonely, doesn't really have friends. Do you think maybe you could tell her a story? You can make her feel better. And for me, even though the fear was, Oh goodness, I have to talk to a new person. I don't know this person. What are they, you know, I was scared of new people, but I thought, well, if they're sad and they're asking me to make that person feel better, then yeah, I want to do something. So I think people mistook that for, oh, she's just, you know, bold and outgoing. But, you know, if I was left to my devices, I was fine by myself. But right. I think that it helped me overcome that a lot because I still am very like, oh, new people, should I be afraid? I yeah. have that immediate response. But I, I think understand. acting helps you a lot because it's Ooh, yeah. it really does get you more comfortable because even on stage that was one of the things is i can't really see the audience but i can see my castmates with me mm-hmm. and i feel safe because of that now if i could if i got a full view i, I tend to get nervous because then I'm oh yeah identify who you are and, that's a lot to um, take in too yeah wow. yeah i get it so i, I know it's it. a roundabout way of answering your question but uh, yeah, more introverted i would say for sure i got you again right up my alley but uh, another thing too uh your like your family when they see that you're you know the kid that's kind of you know off to herself introverted and they see you start like having fun expressing yourself and getting more involved with these plays and they see that you're drawn to the voices what was their reaction were they encouraging of that were they nourishing of it or were they trying to maybe keep you on a more traditional path to you know get you i i, I don't know because i've heard mixed stories on the show like where some people's families are all in on it others try and persuade them against it. What was your family dynamic like with that? I actually have an interesting story because I um, grew up for the first half of my life till I was about 10 in India. Um, I was born there. Yeah. So I speak a different language and I I learned how to speak a couple of languages there. So I was always, and a lot of our traditions, everything's passed on through oral tradition. So my family actually might not have necessarily viewed me as the, I think they didn't see it as anything awkward that I was right. off by myself necessarily because gotcha. they knew if it came, I was always like the, the big sister, the mom mode just mm-hmm. activates immediately. And so I'd always want to take care of someone younger or smaller or anything like that. So I think in their eyes, they didn't really perceive me as having that issue. I knew it. And I think when teachers saw that, that, oh, she's by, you know, on the monkey bars, partly it was a safety thing because I would just hang. Like, right, right. No care in the world. And they're like, she's going to fall on her head. Um, but no, they were very, very supportive. I think they loved the fact that I was a storyteller, that I enjoyed doing this, uh, you know, everything. They, they've always been really encouraging. But I think 
the culture, and we grew up in this in here, you know, they want to protect you from, mm -hmm. you know, maybe some of the pitfalls from oh, yeah. just, they don't want to see you struggle where you don't have to. But I don't think they've ever deterred me or said, we don't want you to pursue these things. I think they've been like, what kind of things are you pursuing and where do you think you'll end up? I ended up in English because that was the closest to the artistic mm -hmm. community. I could have gone into science if I wanted. And my, my big interest was always in, in space science. Like oh, very nice. I was passionate about that and, and, you know, studying DNA, all of those things if I wanted to, but I just, I, I it was like, this is the stuff I learned so I can tell stories about it. And, um, they were always encouraging. So I'm very fortunate in that respect because moving to the U.S., having to go through the culture shock, one of the big things that helped me adjust to the culture shock was acting, was being in theater, because I found that it was much easier to connect with people with that shared love of literature, theater, storytelling. Mm -hmm. That didn't have a barrier in terms of culture or language for me. So that was, that was I think, encouraging for my parents to see that because they just went okay she's really now uh coming into her own and interacting with people because at first it was it was extremely difficult moving from an entirely different con country and oh, yeah. a culture was just very very opposite from what i'd uh grown up with so it was it was an interesting transition but i'm i'm very fortunate to say that i've, I've been i've had had extremely supportive uh family absolutely and then not to, not to gloss over that as well, but um, my my other question, especially like because this is going to come back to you, you know, getting out of your shell and making new friends and telling the stories, especially after that big change. But when you became so drawn to these voices and these characters and you started zoning in on that, were you aware that that's something that, you know, like that people were doing that could turn into a career? Like, did you have any grasp on the scope of what goes into that? Or was that something that you just figured out as you got older, but you were just so entranced with the voices that you just stayed hooked on it? I, I think it was it was the latter. Uh, I knew that obviously there were people behind <laughs> doing the voices. Right, but right. I think the big thing for me I discovered, and this is probably why I was so drawn to voice acting, was that I grew up, when I first moved to the States, I had a really hard time adjusting. I mm -hmm. mean, the, the, the school system, everything was so different. I grew up yeah. wearing uniforms. Everything was really strict, uh, you know, and people are very blunt where I come from. So, and I didn't realize that there are some things that you just don't, people are not that blunt. People are a lot more, uh, you know, the, the way they speak differs. And, uh, you know, I moved to Michigan and I grew up in the tropics. So that was a huge adjustment oh, in and of itself. So I think I really felt like no one truly heard me and I think that's why I was even more drawn to voice acting because I was like, I know you see me and maybe I don't want to be seen so much because I feel like I stick out like a sore mm -hmm. thumb because you look at me and you know I'm different. And I'm, you know, I was in the minority up there, too. And so I think that being able to do voices, I mean, I discovered this as an early on as a kid that. I was doing a little bit from Alice in Wonderland in India, and they'd never heard someone do these voices and sing and dance and all of these other things all at once. And it was this, you know, you're doing all these different voices. And my actually, this is taking me back now. Uh, my parents just discovered a whole 
thing of cassettes that just have me as a little girl recording and just telling stories. Oh, wow. And I have my little brother in there with me and I keep introducing him. And, you know, I, I do all these things. And, and my mom was just saying, you know, I, I'm going to hold on to this tape because that's you. And good looking so out, I mom. Think, she really is. Um, but it felt, I think it felt very much like that was what was happening is that I felt that there was a way for me to become these things and yeah. it didn't matter what I looked like, even though I loved being in, in on stage and interacting with people acting, I found that my love for watching these characters come to life. Cause I used to draw uh, things on my, you know, the back of physics tests and my, mm-hmm. my physics teacher would be like, what happened to, to his spaceship after, you know, cause I'd calculate the velocity and then I'd be like, all right, oh, Joey so lost awesome. his spaceship. And I remember so I used awesome. to have a voice for him, but that's what I associated with it. I think it wasn't until high school that I started to realize, oh, wait a minute, now I get it because I'm watching as I'm drawing these things and maybe they'll have a voice and yeah. that's the voice that you bring to it. So, oh my gosh, I keep answering you in such roundabout, like, no, I love I, it. I, I love it because again, I'm getting, I'm getting to learn more about you. And I, I just, I love the fact right there that you said your teacher was asking about what happened, you know, to a spaceship because my teachers growing up, they would not have cared. They would have said, stop drawing and, you know, get your grades up or whatever. So, I mean, that, that's so awesome to hear. But Yeah, I, he was, I mean, because I would just draw random comics or he'd be like, who's this? Because I would draw stuff from the mummy and, you know, and it wasn't anything, you know, fantastic. And I'm using the spaceship as an example. Right, but, right, right. You know, because I can't remember what I drew and I, I'm sure he, he doesn't remember either. But I just remember that he would ask, he'd be like, all right, what's happening next? You know, because he would see that I've drawn on the back of Absolutely. the test. Absolutely. Now, so, but now, yeah. When you say the mummy... Are you talking about the 1999 cinematic masterpiece, The Mummy? Oh, or... of course. The Brendan uh, Fraser, Rachel Weiss, Arnold Boswell. Come on. I knew you were <laughs> cool people. I knew Eric sent me somebody good. Yes. <laughs> All right, man. Okay, so a little, little sidetrack here, a little sidetrack. Who is the best character in that movie, in your opinion? Oh, man, this is that's a really tough one. I, I think I really, really felt drawn to... I really liked all the characters. So the first one, I, I just loved them all. It was really hard for me to pick. Yeah. Um, I often identified with uh, Evelyn because she was such a librarian and that was so so akin to me. But I dig it. I, I'm, you know, this is going to sound corny, but I loved Rick. Rick O'Connell was my, I was like, this is, if I was an adventurer, I would I would totally be O'Connell. Yes. Um, except maybe I'm not as, as brave as he is. But uh I also was really drawn to Ardeth Bay, I think. Yes. Oh, man. Odin Fair's portrayal was so, so perfect. And just the entire, the whole cast, it's just... Could not have been cast any better. Yeah, the chemistry between all the characters. And, I mean, Jonathan was hilarious. Yes. You can't have that oh movie without God, Jonathan. Yes. He he was, I think, one of the most honest, <laughs> honest to a fault kind of characters where you just, you... Everyone, everywhere. I feel like at some point we've we've known a Jonathan. Oh yeah, we will have oh, an, yeah. we will have known a Jonathan at one point. Uh, but it's it's a tough one to pick. But I, I'd say like Rick was just I, I had the biggest crush on him. <laughs> Understandable. And which I, it's so cool to see Brendan Fraser now coming back and I, I guess getting his just due and getting to get that love and adoration from the fans because oh I my god like Brendan the amount Fraser of since since yeah. forever. Like the amount of love and the the Facebook groups that you see too are just like, it, it's insane. And just to see how humble he is about it, it's it makes it even better. But man, okay, 
I don't want to turn this whole thing into a mummy, you know, sidetrack. We totally could, which I'm sure it may come up again. But one thing that I've noticed with a lot of people, you know, whether it's in the wrestling world, acting, or, or whatever it may be, they end up, they start out really passionate about something as they're growing up. They get to those, you know, like formative high school years, and sometimes they drift away from the things that they love, and they end up coming back years later. Did you have that with acting and voice acting or were you 100%. just 100%? Okay, tell me about that. So, I mean, I went to college to originally my my goal was to go into something related to science because I thought mm-hmm. there's no way something like this is viable. Right. Um I even stopped drawing, you know, for that oh. reason just because I was like there's no way that this is viable and um so I went to school and I majored in English because that was something that allowed me to kind of experience all the things with the arts because mm-hmm. you know books got turned into films and we would oh yeah look at those types of things right and so even though I took a lot of science classes in college I ended up majoring in English and ancient history and again I, I grew up speaking more than two two languages essentially that I felt really like I loved words and so I ended up in majoring in English and I did my master's in children's literature focused a little bit on folk tales and uh, storytelling and adolescent literature, fairy tales, that kind of thing. And then I ended up uh, teaching and I taught at private nonprofit universities and I even got to develop classes I liked, you know, so I got to teach um, thriller and horror literature. I didn't develop those, but they they were available to teach and I could modify them. And I taught science fiction literature. Um, I got to take my students to see Captain America Winter Soldier and we compared it to something we read. And it was, I loved doing that. And um, something that still makes me giggle, um, and and I thought it was incredibly sweet. Was one of my students said, "Oh, you're so cool. I'm gonna call you Von Diesel. Is that okay?" <laughs> That's <laughs> and awesome. That just, I said, "That is the coolest thing, and I am so not worthy of that." But thank you, and I really enjoyed uh, being able to do that. That gave me an outlet. A lot of my students were gamers, were into anime, and so it, it was a good relationship between, you know, teachers and students. And, um, you know, I got to develop a class like intro to comics is lit, but the problem was with the schools, if you're adjunct or if the funding is lacking or any of those things, you don't, it's not a consistent income. And then I was like, should I do a PhD or should I go back and start all over again with science? You know, I mean, and then I thought about it, that's going to be 20 years of trying to play catch up. And I, I don't, you know, I mean, I remember the Drake equation. I'm like, I remember formulas, but it's going to be a while before I play catch up. And then I just thought, you know, I'm always going to be a teacher. And I know that at some point I will maybe, you know, there's ways that I can come back to it. But I felt like I just didn't try when it came to the arts. And my dad was literally, you know, it was actually my parents. They encouraged me, my, my dad and my brother, too, um, you know, just you are doing all these things, you continue to kind of pursue them while you were teaching. Why don't you really try? Like, why don't you really, really give it a try, you know? And it got me thinking, I've told my students before that the important thing is that you tried. And I was not living by my own example going, you know, if I had tried really hard and I, you know, really struggled and it wasn't going anywhere. And then I decided to work and do something else, but I still kind of kept that momentum going. I wouldn't have regrets, but I didn't want to not pursue this, you know? And so I started drawing again. I started, uh, you know, getting back into this. And when I got into the Bloombox community, then it kind of really solidified it for me. And it felt like 
you know, I'm starting to piece these things together and Mm -hmm. this is where I should be and I should keep pursuing it because I would regret it if I don't. So it kind of brought me back to it. And then it was nice because my teachers were saying the same thing. They said, you know, it doesn't hurt to pursue it. And I, I can't imagine having my life be any different but if you told me this when i was 18 i would be like get out of here there's no way this is going to be my life exactly i mean because of course our 18 year old selves knew everything there was we could do no wrong we we all know how that oh i had five careers lined up in my head of all the things i could accomplish when i was 18 and realistically it's like do you really want a triple major you you gotta let's rethink this here and here I was thinking I was going to do a double major. And again, I was an, I was an English major like you, but I, I you had more of a, a path set in your mind, so kudos to you than I ever did. But w- one thing, uh, because you mentioned it, you know, like getting away from, like you stopped drawing, you got away from all this, but you were still, you know, like quasi-exploring it through these different teaching endeavors. Did you ever feel like a sense of unfulfillment, probably not the best word choice, but, you know, like, when you weren't doing what you loved and what you were passionate about, like, did you, were you aware that there may have been a void there or was that something that was able to be counteracted by what you were doing? Because I mean, all those experiences sounded so rewarding and so awesome, but you know, sometimes if you're not doing that one thing that you're passionate about, like there may just be an emptiness there that you can't explain. Oh, I absolutely can relate to that. I mean, teaching has, 100% its rewards and it is one of the most rewarding professions because you do get to watch your students do well and that Mm -hmm. there is no better feeling than than seeing your students succeed but um and and first to your point I'm sure you were you had a path and I'm sure you were just you were successful don't don't shorten yourself I'm sure you were you were doing great but yeah I I felt like I had to use these ways to express myself in a way because I I don't think I was aware that it was because you know you you never stop working when you're a teacher because you have lesson plans you have to grade you answer emails on your off days you gotta um, make sure that your your tests are in uh, at the right approach time you know all those types of things so you're never really off the clock and I think that's what made me feel anxious because it, it was oh I I can't get to this and I can't um, do this and I was teaching part time and I was in Tartuffe once and oh, wow that was tough. Uh, there was a lot of dialogue and I was, I was trying to juggle memorizing all these lines while also doing my lesson plans and also getting, uh, you know, grades in on time and, and making things work and then having to drive out far for rehearsals and then commute to work. So I think I found ways in which I was expressing myself, but I don't think I was aware of that void until when I started drawing again in 2018, where I started going, Hey, I don't feel so anxious anymore. I wonder why that is. And it's like you came back to it and you're drawing again and it's it's a part of you. And then when I started doing more and more things with voice acting, I just found myself just getting a little, okay, recording something on my phone and hearing it. And, you know, it started to become clear when people, even in my class, my students would say, can, can you read that part to us? Or can you read it again? And I would go, read what? They're like, do that again. Do that thing that you just did. And I, I'm not aware of it. Um, it's the same with singing. Like someone will say, oh, you're singing this thing. And I'm not aware that I'm actually been singing in the moment, but right. you know, you don't, it's like, it's almost like your, your, your body moves on its own. It starts doing things of its own volition. And so every now and then, you know, during breaks, I would, I would draw when I was teaching and my students would come up and be like, is that a from Naruto Shippuden? I'm like, yes, it is. 
<laughs> so it was encouraging to have students like that too. And, uh, you know, actually even some of anime and manga kind of brought me back to it. Uh, I was just thinking about, he was watching some of it and, you know, my hero academia. And I think that I, I just saw that and I was like, Oh, I'm a teacher and my students really like this show. And, you know, it kind of made me feel like that. So I'd incorporate some of those elements into the classroom, you know, where I would just be like, okay, who's my Deku of the day today, you know, um, nice. and just, it would be, it would be a really, I liked doing those kinds of things. So I, I think, I think I was aware on a subconscious level that I was missing something. However, I felt that I was kind of making up for it by incorporating it into my teaching. And I, I don't think that that was my intent necessarily. Yeah. I think it just kind of came out and then it's like, okay, that's, that is how you express yourself. I dig it. I dig it. And you mentioned you mentioned Bloomvox in there. So how how did you find out about Bloomvox and how did you start getting connected with the community in there and kind of like, you know, finding the positivity and the wonderful encouragement that comes with that? Where did all this come into play in your life? So I have a friend of mine who I met. Actually, we did a, a voice acting workshop together. That's how I met her. Okay. Um, and it was it wasn't. Um, through Bloombox, but she added me to the Bloombox community because she said, you know what, I think you would really like this community. Yeah. I know how much you love Steve Bloom's work. You should check it out. And so I got in on the community and I joined the classes and I started, you know, doing some of the challenges. This was back when it was still growing. And I remember that I felt really encouraged by the people that I met. I did meet Eric and um, some of the others as well. And I felt like this was such a beautiful space for people to to express themselves and not just that, but also just how encouraging they were of each other, Absolutely. which was very, very nice. Really refreshing to see. And I actually saw some of that in the art community with the artists I network with, too, is how supportive they are of each other. Yeah. You know, we'll draw something and people are so encouraging. And even though, you know, technically we may need to improve in areas. And I, I say we, when, when I really just mean me, um, when I'm trying to learn stuff, they're just very encouraging. And I found that to be true with the Bloombox community. So that's how I got involved. Um, and that just kind of grew from there. And it, it's just been such a blessing. Absolutely. And I mean, it's a, another cool thing too. And I, I've said it on this show, but I can't say it enough. It's even cooler when you have people in the community that are these established voice actors like um you know like a Cynthia Kranz from the Dragon Ball and you know like a lot of these Funimation projects she's in there she chimes in Bob Bergen is constantly giving advice in there yeah, and he's amazing it, it it's so cool to just like see that these people are giving back to the community but not only that our fellow actors like Eric are in there giving back to the community Heath is in there it's it's literally a family atmosphere and it was like the ultimate like welcoming experience to be invited into that community for myself when it first started. And, you know, like seeing you, I considered you one of the OGs up there with Eric because I came in about maybe class 30 or so. And I had a lot of catching up to do, but Bob's class was my first live class. And, you know, like just seeing the community that was already there with you guys was absolutely like heartwarming to put it, to put it bluntly. It was just like, wow, okay, they're not BS in here. This is a real family. So, like, what was it like when you started, you know, talking to these people outside of class and building these friendships and, you know, making this family? What was that like for you? It was 
just, it was such a wonderful and beautiful experience. But um, when I first joined, I was actually coming out of uh, very difficult times in my personal life. So Mm -hmm. I was a little bit withdrawn and a little bit uh, shy. Actually, Eric will tell you that, that I've come out of my shell a lot more. Um, And actually, it was Steve Bloom who said that to us, um, said that to me personally when I um, was in Fan Expo Philly, that he said, you know, I've seen you come out of your shell so much since you first started. Um, And to me, I I was like, okay, then it must be noticeable because if he's saying he's seen me come out of my shell, because I would, I would get shy. I wouldn't want to necessarily ask questions or I'd ask, but I'd I'd be very nervous and I would express that. And again, Eric would, will tell you that I remember how, you know, incredibly, you know, hold, hold back and a little bit uh, timid I was. And so the fact that I feel so much more at ease with this, um, like even doing this interview, I'm surprised I'm not shaking as much as I normally would. Uh, you know, uh, we're actors. We we can hold it together. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Absolutely. And you can um, turn that nervous anticipation into into energy to deliver that performance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I felt like that was what was so beautiful about it was that people reached out and they seemed to be really kind to each other. They were encouraging. They were like, yeah, that's a great question. Oh, that's awesome. And, you know, someone would say something about themselves or, you know, oh, I, I don't have the con. They'll say something that maybe sounds like they're self-deprecating and immediately there'd be a bunch of people in the community. Oh, no, no, yeah. no. Here's what, here's what your strengths are immediately to kind of so that I thought was really lovely. And, uh, you know, just having other people share the same interest and the same passion for it and understand it in, in the same way that you do. And I think you probably get this because, you know, when you go to a convention and you greet your fellow geeks, yeah, there's an understanding that happens in that moment that you don't really necessarily need words for like yeah. i go into a con and i i see another cosplayer and i'm just like man those are my people exactly and, and the, <laughs> coolest like part, the coolest part is too is because i think we're about the same age but you know when i was growing up all this stuff that is so cool and so pop culture now is the stuff that you got made fun of for liking so you either had to hide it and you know just be a closeted fan but now that we're all adults and like half this stuff has taken over pop culture, when you go to these conventions, you see these geeks, like you said, you're, you're with your people. And it's just like that unspoken bond of everybody's just here to have fun. Everybody's here to nerd out and just make a moment out of it. It's such a magical thing. Oh, 100%. I was just actually thinking about that, uh, that when we were growing up reading comic books or being invested in these things that people would go, oh, you're just a bunch of geeks, you yeah. know? And now it's it's become such a big thing. I mean, if we think about even how uh, Dungeons and Dragons yes, and Magic the Gathering has yeah. come back, right? You know, it's, uh, and I was just thinking about that. You know, people would just, wow, real nerd, Lonnie, real nerd. Yeah, or devil worshippers, you know, in some cases for D&D, you know, whatever like, it may be. Or just even just the act of this isn't real literature because I majored in literature and you yeah. you know you did English major that that kind of thing people often frowned upon it but then you you see this and this is why I developed uh, the class Intro to Comics is Lit which I didn't actually get to teach but oh, I was so excited about it idea, because though. but like people do I think some colleges will offer that because I think there's something still that we as human beings we love to hear the human voice you know people listen to audiobooks at night uh, you know to help them fall asleep or they mm-hmm. need the sound 
uh, because a lot of our traditions, if you think about it, was passed on through yeah. oral tradition. This is what came first, not the written word. And I think having pictures, I think of the Chauvet cave paintings and all of these different, we found ways to kind of tell a story through pictures and through acting it out. I think that is just quintessential human nature trait. And Absolutely. so to see that appreciated on the scale, granted, you know, a lot of things have been changed to fit the next generations, but yeah. in some ways, yeah. you know, I think about how nice it is to kind of pass that on to the kids because they can be as excited about the same things that you could, you know, for, I think back to when my dad uh, took us, my me and my brother, a whole family actually, to see the special edition of the original trilogy in the yes. 90s when oh, it yeah. released in the theaters. And my dad took us to see it and we waited in line for it, which I already thought was strange. My dad doesn't wait in line. We don't wait in line. Right, so right, he will right. always find, you know, so just like this better be good. <laughs> We're waiting in line for it. But I think it was really cool that my dad was able to share that with us because that was something that he enjoyed Absolutely. when he watched it in 77. And, you know, and for him to be able to share that with us, and that, that was a really nice moment. And so now I see some of you know my friends or other family members taking their kids to see things that they saw when they were younger or reading the same stories to them. Yeah, there's there's a timelessness in that. And then, you know, yes, it does get adapted for modern day, but. I like that nerds are in. For Geeks sure. Geeks are in. For We're sure. In. <laughs> and that's that's the thing. And it's so it's cool to do it now because like it, when how often now do you hear an anime reference in, in rap songs, which you know, it's like the stuff that is not cool, you see it on the how news. How many you see Prince Vegeta songs are out there? <laughs> not enough. Not enough. Let's just go ahead and say right now, not enough. Best character ever. But I agree. Oh man, but it's it's so cool, and I, I love that too. And I, I, I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit, and we'll circle back to Pochki. But this kind of comes into it as well. You mentioned, you know, Fan Expo and getting to, you know, do the panel, meet Steve in person, and everything. Was that your first time actually meeting, you know, some of the Pochki family and meeting Steve in person? Yes, that was the first time. What and was... honestly. Oh. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, you already know, I already knew what you were going to ask. Yeah, but, let's, I mean, let's hear it. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, but, you're um, fine. I love just, it. I felt it was like home. I felt like these were, and again, I was very nervous. And I, I remember talking to really close friends and family. I was just, man, I'm meeting people I don't know. And, you know, I um, actually split the hotel room with one of our uh, castmates, uh, Stephanie. Okay. Um, future guest on the show. Future guest on the show. And she's amazing. So, but, you know, I got to meet her and immediately I felt safe. And that's yeah. how I felt with the Pochki people. I was like, I feel like we've all known each other forever, you know, it's, and it was such a beautiful, Absolutely. wonderful experience. It was really hard to come home after that because then I was just like, oh, yeah, do with my life now. Exactly. Um, it's so hard to go back to wonderful. the real world. It was just incredible. And meeting Steve was really wonderful, too, because he was just such a, a humble, kind, encouraging, very lovely human being. And just being able to meet him and you know even meeting some of the other voice actors that were out there and just having that experience of being in that moment mm -hmm. um and knowing what that's like to to be someone who's aspiring to that it was it was really beautiful it was really encouraging and we just i think we all had a really good time absolutely i mean from every story i've heard whether it was you know marcus or eric or whoever telling the story like that whole like just 
family dynamic and feeling like you were at home, like just that nails it to a T right there. That's so amazing. But um, what was it like when you were approached, you know, like when Eric maybe approached you with the idea of, you know, starting the Potchkey audio series, what was that like for you? And what was it like doing these character reads virtually where you're not in the same room with these people and it may not be the easiest to pick up on the energy right away. What is that like when you're not there in person doing that? Um, I think that initially when I first, um, when Eric first approached me, he had, you know, the script and, and basically I ended up auditioning for it because he was trying to get a feel for who he thought would be appropriate and, Mm -hmm. and had me read two different characters. And then I ended up getting the, um, what you hear as officer slant um so but i remember that i was really excited uh because you know i i love this kind of stuff i loved everything about potchkey and um you know i was just very surprised because i was going has he heard me yet or how does he know you know <laughs> and, and what what does he see like i hope he, he's you know making the right decision picking me and i hope i don't let anyone down and right, you know right. i had all these nervous thoughts but i was so excited at the chance to be a part of something like that oh, and yeah. you know it besides the story being really funny it also pays you know tribute to a lot of the things that we're familiar with and while some of these things i i because i lived in india i didn't necessarily grow up with it uh by association because i i knew people and you know my dad and family members that were really you know i got introduced to airplane because of my dad um as a family we you know and we've watched a lot of things together so i I think that knowing that this was, and we watched the Pink Panther, Peter Sellers, like that was oh, <laughs> something yeah. we did. So there were so many elements in this. So I just knew I wanted to be a part of the Pochki podcast one way or the other. And I, you know, went for it, auditioned for the characters. So it was, you know, at first when I was just reading the lines, you know, I had to, I had to imagine what the other characters were saying, Right. but it was so much fun that I would have to catch myself reading the script and getting so caught up in it and go, Oh wait, the, no, you got to say your line right now. You're just yeah. reading it. You know, you're having too much fun, but I loved it. And then we did zoom read throughs and then, you know, now I can hear the other voices. Oh, that's, you know, that's Tim and that's, you know, Ben and you start getting used to it. Oh, that's Carlos. And, you know, now, now that I've heard the others too, you know, you're Marcus and I hear uh, Stephanie and I hear Hannah, um, you start really picking up on that. Um, and then, you know, we had Heath and um, we have, gosh, we have so many people. I feel like if I start naming names, I better name everybody. Right, right. But then, you know, we had um, also Amy join us and um, and I think Ryan and then we had Adeline's Australia. So, I mean, we, we just have, there, there's a, it, it's a world. Yeah. Um, the family's and I, growing. I love it. Yeah. And so it's, and if I missed anybody and whoever's listening in Plotsky, please, this was not personal. I apologize if I forgot you. My brain is a little short circuited at the moment um, for the last few, few days. It's been busy. So I, I feel your pain. I feel your struggle. <laughs> I know it all too well. And you named off more people than I would in a situation where I'm put on the spot because I'd be fumbling over words just worried, who am I going to forget? Who am I going to forget? Who am I oh, going to forget? Oh, and Nathan. So you, Nathan, can't forget Nebish. Um, of course. And, of course. Uh, or, and Rob, all the work that Rob does. Um, and, and everyone behind the scenes too. So oh, yeah. I mean, you know, and Eric, it goes without saying. Um, so I mean, I just, village. I love everybody, everybody in the, in the show. And it's, 
I, I love every moment of it. And then now we have Tom, uh, yes. Tom Cat. Um, One of the best. And then we've had Rory on there. So, I mean, just, I think about it, like all the people that we have are so incredibly talented. I'm humbled by it because half the time I just have to pinch myself and going, am I really in the, in the same zoom meeting with all these incredible talents? Like it's, wait, this is really happening. Right. And then, oh, and we have, you know, Jason does an incredible job for us. And like, just, I think about, you know, everybody that's involved and how incredible all of them are. And like I said, I'm just, I'm very grateful to be a part of that family. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it was, it was a little weird at first, not having anyone in the, in the room, but then you get used to it. You have fun because again, as a kid, I would make up stories and record them on yeah. my own alone. So I had to think of it that way. And then um, once I started actually also doing, I, I got private coaching with Richard Tatum. Oh, very nice. And very nice. Often he would, he would set up the stage. Like you have to think about what these people are saying to Uh you and that you're responding to. And I think that that's a big part of what's helped me. And uh, I just recorded my professional demo. Very nice. I saw that. Um, Congratulations. Yeah. So that was very exciting. That's uh, and that's what you just said right there too. Like the, the lesson that Richard taught you, that was very instrumental to me, especially with getting more comfortable with like commercial and narration, because I'm more, I'm going to go ahead and say I'm more like 70% on the character side. So that's more the theatrical, the expressive, That that's my bread and butter. So reeling it back in and finding ways to tell those stories but still deliver what they want, I'm still not going to say I'm good at it. I'm getting better. I, I booked a few things, but like though that, that lesson right there is what's really kind of helped put that genre in perspective for me because – it's uh, it's the bread and butter of voiceover, so to speak. It's what pays the bills if you want to do that for a living. And, you know, again, it's just it's nice to see that diverse background, but it's also nice to hear that there are coaches out there that know the best way to communicate to their students about it. Same as you were doing, you know, as a as a teacher as well. So that's that's an awesome thing to hear. Yeah, Richard is is amazing, and Steve is amazing. Both of them oh, have yeah. been so wonderful at understanding what their students need. Yep. And I think that's the hallmark of, of someone who's not just a good performer, but also someone who understands how students may learn and being able to share from their experiences, 100%. too. 100%. I find that really helpful because you don't think about it until you start reading, and then how do you develop these characters? How do yeah. you make them real? And you make them real because this – how would you respond in that situation? Yes, you're responding as that character, but you have to think about reactions. And that's what I learned with acting was that, you know, people just, Oh, it's pretend it's, you know, you're, you're faking it till you make it. And I said, no, it, Mm. it's not because, because if you ask me to cry, I I don't believe in faking it. I will find a way to, to make myself cry. I don't like it, but if I have to do it, I will. And it's, the circumstances may not be real in the moment in terms of, I, I always go back to something that I remember Jensen Ackles from Supernatural talking about a scene in which Dean um, in season four tells Sam that I wish I couldn't feel anything, mm-hmm. um, you know, where he's talking about his experience in hell and he, you know, he's crying. And I think it was that scene that Jensen Ackles referred to um, on one of the panels that, at a convention. And he said that, he had to walk it off for a good 20 minutes. Like he was like, yeah. I didn't have anything. I wasn't really crying in the sense that I, I was going through something in the moment, but like it, I had to walk it off. Cause it took me a little while to come out of it because in that moment, 
what's happening in that scene, what's happening in that moment is, is the, the expression is real, even yeah. though you weren't actually in hell being tortured um, and torturing, right? Um, that that's something that you are, you're in the moment. Yep. You have to bring um, that level of your authentic self to that scenario, whatever it may be. Because again, you said, what, what would your reaction be in that moment? And, you know, again, it, it kind of harkens back to the whole thing about voice acting that a lot of people have that ever so famous misconception. You know, it's just, it's doing voices. No, yeah. it, it it's acting. You have to bring something authentic from yourself to that moment. Doesn't matter what genre it is. Otherwise it, it won't connect and it won't be believable. And sometimes you have to, like in that case, go to that space and then be able to separate once it's done and walk it off and, you know, get back into the right frame of mind. But it's a, it's a very intense thing that a lot of people still don't seem to realize. Yeah. And I think that if there's one person that I, I think I saw this, um, Mark Hamill, what he does when he voices the Joker. I mean, you, you really see his whole body language yeah. change. And I mean, and that's, that's something that, you know, you don't hold still and get stiff when you do voice mm. acting. And, and actually, initially at first, I was afraid to express that. Um, and I remember one of Steve's early classes was just, you know, making friends with your voice and then also the have fun, just being stupid in the booth and, you know, have a go at it. Um, and that's something that I just didn't, it took me a while because it's like you really have to strip away your inhibitions because it's not like you have necessarily someone in front of you that during that particularly difficult scene is reacting with you. Yeah. You can, you know, you're, you're having to create this story and this space in, in the situation. And I mean, you think about someone like the Joker, you know, you're not that person in real oh, life. Yeah. We're not, you know, we're not sadistic. <laughs> or uh you know whatever maniacal I mean, whatever it may be yeah just yeah whatever those things are but being able to convince somebody that that is in the moment what you're able to do that requires a certain almost a psychological study like your your whole body it's, yeah. it's a full body workout that's how i feel about singing is like it's 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 not you you feel it from your toes to your for your head sure. so you know even when i do the the characters that i do for Pochki. It's I, I really I have to to set the space and and get into that zone. And, you know, I don't record both of them at the same time for that reason, because it's OK. What is what's happening in this moment and how am I reacting and what is the story at this moment? And that's what helps me when I record for Pachkin. I love it. And then on top of that, too, the singing, uh, just because you mentioned it there. Do you find that that has helped you uh, in in ways with voice acting, or is it something that maybe doesn't come into play as much as you would think? Um, I think it's very helpful, particularly warming up your voice, oh, making yeah. sure that you're taking good care of your instrument, and mm -hmm. you know, uh, making sure you you have you've accommodated your vocal cords enough to what it needs to do. So I, I'd say it's it's hugely helpful and. Also, it helps you with how you hear yourself. That's one of the biggest yeah. things that I learned in singing is that you're going to hear it differently in your head. And when you hear it back to you, it's not going to sound the same. And you just have to trust that the placement is right. Uh, one of the things that I always think about is that if you're worried about how you look when you sing, you're not doing it right. Right, right, right. You can't worry about that. Um, if you've seen some of the best opera singers, they don't care 
what their face is doing when they're singing. Oh, no. No. You have to do certain things with your face. And I kind of just got it into my head that don't worry if you think it looks weird or it looks silly or you don't like it or just you can't think about that. You just trust that the sound is is going to be good because you're, you know, hopefully you've, you've got your own pitch. You know what you're singing um, and you've taken enough air, but also the fact that your placement is correct and, you know, you you feel you've warmed up enough that the sound, you need to trust the sound. Absolutely. And that was a big thing for me to, to learn um, with voice acting too. And that was another thing Richard Tatum helped me with to open up where he was just like, he goes, you can get a little bit more free with it. You can, you can let loose. You can, you know, just be more comfortable. And mm-hmm. I think I started to do that when I realized, okay, this is the, similar to the stuff that I did in singing. How did I get comfortable doing some of these types of uh, styles? And that's, that's when it kind of hit to go, it's going to sound weird in my head. But he's laughing half the time. He's like, if you're getting that reaction out of me, then that's that's what I wanted you to do. You know, um, so I, it, I feel it's really helpful. The, the singing has definitely been helpful for me. Absolutely. I love it. And man, OK, so I've got two questions left before we flip the script here. One's going to be a little bit more lighthearted and the other is going to be a little bit deeper, but I'm excited to hear the answer for both of these. So which would you prefer the deeper question first or the lighthearted? Um, I think, Oh, let's do the deeper question first and then we'll do something lighthearted after. I think that's a good way of (laughs) that works for me. Bouncing. Absolutely. Okay. So you just, you had the milestone of recording your demo, huge step in the voiceover world. You've been a part of the Pochki audio chronicles you're making waves there. You did your first panel at uh, at the expo convention there. What is next for you? What is your next goal in voiceover? This is a deep question. Um, <laughs> there are no wrong answers. I, you know, I would say that my goal is has always been to work in some form of animation. So that is, and the, the demo I recorded was for animation. Okay, cool, um, cool. So that would be the ideal goal. I also would love to be a part of, you know, some video games uh-huh. that I think that have a lot more of the interactive uh, aspect of it, or just any games that there is a storytelling aspect or a narrator aspect. I would, I would love that. But I think animation and particularly anime dub just because I spoke different languages and I love the idea of seeing things translated into a language that you follow. Um, I watch both dub and sub. I, I tell people that because I, I love seeing whether things are faithful to the adaptation. And also because sometimes I've seen this in the circumstances where they have the original voice actors and the dub voice actors come out and they greet each other and they're laughing and saying, you know, their, their respective lines and they're doing it in the, and you get to see the interaction. And oh, yeah. um, I think particularly I saw that, uh, I saw a video of that with uh, the, the cast of Inuyasha. Um, mm. And that was really sweet. And so, you know, and I, I know there's been a lot of, there's a lot of contention when people say dub in yeah. anime, but for me, it's also a question of if it's live action, then yes, I, I do tend to watch with the subtitles. But if it's animation, I, I don't want to miss the animation. So sometimes 
I end up reading the subtitles and, you know, I get caught up in that. And then I have to go back and rewind and see that. And it's like, oh, you missed this really beautiful scene. So, but, but there are some animes that I just love in, in the subtitle and, you know, like One Punch Man and Noragami. I love those in, you know, the subtitle in the original Japanese and most of it I've seen at least once through in the original. So I I always try to pay homage to that, but I would love, love, love to, to put my hand, you know, to dip my hand into the, the anime dub world because that was, that's how I grew up when I first Mm -hmm. moved to the States and, you know, I got to experience Japanese animation. I mean, I'm sure we all have experienced it through Toonami. Um, Yeah. It was a huge influence on my life. And, you know, I know we talked about Vegeta. There's a reason why I do so much fan art (laughs) of Vegeta because I really loved the, the voice. Um, And, you know, there's so many wonderful dub adaptations with amazing actors. Absolutely. Um, and, and there are also really great ones for just, you know, our animation here in the States. So I'd love to be a part of animated series and something uh, with video games at some point. I think those would be, but I'm, I, I'm open to any form because I don't mind doing, you know, something like commercials too, because I get to sing jingles and yeah. I'm all about singing jingles. Bring them back. Um, Bring them back. Always. And, you know, and narrating even audiobooks and things like that, because I, I love to read to, to yeah. people and, you know, I have worked with kids before and I see how excited they get about story time. And even when I've worked with fifth graders in the past, um, I, I taught mostly adults, but this was when I worked after school. I would see that it didn't matter, you know, and same with the adults. If I had a story to tell, I was like, okay, well, I have a story about this. They're like, please tell us the story. And everybody wants to hear that. And yeah. everyone's capable of it. And that's, that's the thing is how animated you can get about your story where you start to see elements of whatever you're talking about come to life in that moment, you know? So that's, that's where I think whatever allows me to express that, you know, even if it's singing commercial jingles, like someone mentions something like Liberty, I'll start singing the Liberty jingle. It just, I hear it in my head yep. and it has to happen. You can't just say it, you know? So I, I do feel like wherever the voiceover journey takes me, I'm really happy and humbled to go where it takes me. But absolutely. the goal, absolutely. The goal is, you know, to be in, in animation in some form. I love it. I love it. I love it. And hopefully we'll get our names in the credits there together. So I'm going to keep fingers crossed and we'll manifest that out for the world to reciprocate. But now let's get to the fun question because, man, that I say fun, but that was a fun answer, too, because I love just how genuinely in love you are with voice acting and voiceover. It's so awesome to see that your, your passion for it is so strong. But we got to dive into that geekdom for a little bit. So... <laughs> Top anime, go ahead and name it. Which one is it for you? For me, I would say the one that really probably changed my life was Cowboy Bebop. Yes. It was was such a game changer for me because it partly, you know, it had a lot of the the sci-fi. I mean, because I I knew I was aware of Gundam. You know, we, we had, we watched a lot of those things. And Sailor Moon, to a degree, was kind of like that, too. And I watched all the the you know series that came out on Toonami, but cowboy bebop just kind of struck me because of the music um yeah. you know the titles of the episodes and and the real folk blues and just you hear it such and it's so song. evocative such a good song and 
So I think for me, because it, it brought elements of music, it had these, uh, almost these feelings of watching old sci-fi movies. Mm-hmm. It brought back some of that. Yeah. And there was this very, there was this element of realism with the characters that you felt you connected with. You know, I was invested. I wanted to know. And I, I felt very much like it became this this family that you were getting to know. So I would say that yeah. one is probably the the top for me as far as something that was really truly um that had that kind of influence that really just stuck with me i, love I would it. say i love it i mean oh. there's plenty more on that list but cowboy oh, yeah. pop i would say is that influential <laughs> and it all and it all comes full circle you know being a part of the bloombox community with steve as the voice of spike spiegel himself so i man that that is a perfect answer if there ever was one yeah, and, and he did something very sweet for my mom. I, I mentioned how much she loved Orochimaru, and he started you know talking in the voice, and I said, oh, I should have recorded that. And he goes, let's record her a video. And oh uh, while God, we did that, so, so awesome. he recorded, I sent it to my mom, and my mom was did Orochimaru just speak to me? That is amazing. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was just very sweet. But, I mean, it's when you meet him and you think of, like, wow, he's really done all that. And then, yeah, I mean, this was – this is the one that I would say really changed my perspective, even on um, just how I view anime um, yeah. as a whole. It just, because it was different. It was very different from anything I'd ever seen or been used to. Absolutely. So I really liked Cowboy Bebop. But yeah, there's a plenty of um, anime series on that list. And, you know, of course, I'm sure you also watched the uh, Miyazaki films and, you know, you got a little bit of, I mean, Inuyasha was one that I really did like too. Yeah. Also, um, I, I think Rumiko Takahashi is incredibly talented. For sure, um, for sure. And the music in that show was really beautiful too. So I think there's something about the music, the art, yeah. and, you know, the storytelling that kind of goes together for me. You know, you think about series that have really good scores, like Star mm-hmm. Trek or Star Wars. You know, they yeah. have this music that just sticks with you. It's like the icing um, on the cake to the overall presentation. Yeah, it ties yeah, it all together so perfectly, and hats off to all those composers too that were brilliant enough to make that happen. Because they man, get you to feel what yes. the show is trying to get you to feel. Like it, it's a, it's wonderful to to see that. And especially for like an animation, if you feel those feelings for it, and you get so invested in those characters and those stories, man, that just that is nothing but credit to everybody that went into making that happen and creating that world. Like that is just a magical experience. I agree. Oh, man. So uh, let's see if we can make another magical experience here because I've been asking you questions for the last little bit here, but I'm going to let you, uh, you know, hop in the driver's seat for a little while. I'm going to let you put me on the spot, and I don't know what you're going to ask me. I don't know (laughs) any of this. So I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to sit over here in the passenger seat and hope for the best, and I'm going to let you take over and run the show for a little bit. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask you exactly what you asked me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) So I was, I was particularly intrigued by the fact that you also majored in English. Oh yes. Um, So what drew you to major in English and what was something literary that you read that stuck with you that you would say maybe still kind of influences you today? Because I know there are a lot of books that you grow up reading and they stick with you, but was there anything in particular that you really felt like it's 
it's something that you you feel connected to. So what drew you to majoring in English mm-hmm. and what is a piece of literature that has stuck with you? I think, uh, well, number one, I because like you, I was fascinated with science and, you know, chemistry, biology and everything, but I was horrible at math. Um, so I, I loved reading. I loved poetry. I loved storytelling. I loved all that. So I figured you combine all that and literature was the way to go for it because I would get to read new things. I would get to experience new worlds and I would enjoy doing it. But, um, man, it's just that that was my whole goal. And kind of selfishly, it was like I didn't want to do math and I didn't want to get better at math. I was just being lazy, stupid teenager, stupid me. But, um, you know, I thought I'll go and become an English teacher and unfortunately as the program changed as I was about to enter the teaching program oh no you would only teach instead of teaching for a semester you would have to teach for a whole year but you couldn't have a job in between so I I went into panic modes like okay there's no way I'm going to swing this I don't want to have to ask my family for extra money so I'm just going to go ahead and graduate next semester with my English degree and that's what I did Stupid me, I haven't really done anything with it other than like, you know, like nitpick scripts that we all get that don't have proper punctuation or grammar and everything, and it just like drives me insane. But that that was my whole thinking process on it. But I mean, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed the classes I took. Um, some of the teachers not so much because they were just there to make you read off a you know a projector and not really teach anything. So you know, yay tenure. But um, I think, like, the two biggest books that really stuck with me are ones that I read in high school, which I would need to go back and read them again, but it was on the summer reading list, and nobody was excited about having to do any kind of summer reading. But, like, two books that I had, I think, between... It was either freshman and sophomore, or sophomore and junior year, that I just could not put down were... um, One was titled, The Things They Carried... And the other was uh, the education of Little Tree. And, you know, there were certain things in those books that were very, very dark, very, very real, very descriptive, especially like with some things that we see in the world right now. But, you know, like there were things that I could also relate to at home that really drew me in. But um, the biggest thing about those books that really got me was that I would catch myself up to like one or two in the morning reading them. And I couldn't put them down. And before I even like knew what these books were about, and I just saw them on the list, I was like, there's no way I'm going to do this. I'll maybe read like five pages a day or whatever. But once I got into it, I couldn't put them down. And it just, again, like it's been so long since I've read them. I'm, I'm hazy on the stories. But I just remember being up till one or two in the morning over my summer reading those and, and not being able to put them down or reading them at band camp when you had to be up at six the next morning for breakfast, but it's, you know, 1130 midnight and you're still up reading while everybody else is asleep around you. And it's like, okay, um, I guess I like reading. Yay me. But, you know, it's just like, it was kind of like the weird thing because nobody else around me wanted to read. So there you go. You know, it's good. I, I think the summer reading books often sometimes end up being the surprising, you oh, know, yeah. dark horse. You don't think you're going to read it. And then when you do, it's 
huh, I think the teacher knew what they were doing. Exactly. <laughs> when they exactly. you know assigned that book, right? Right. So um, no, that's that's really cool. And I mean, I can I see the appeal. Like I think part of what I was drawn to with English major is kind of similar to your reasons. It's like it encompasses everything because the stories mm-hmm. have all those elements, right? Yeah. That's why I liked sci-fi stories so much. You know, I liked Arthur C. Clarke and you know Asimov and stuff like that because they had this science fiction element to it, and they both you know had a background in science and they Absolutely. were writing about it. So that helps. And, and um, funny story too, uh, like it actually transitioned into to part of my wrestling persona at one point too, because I would actually take like some of these thick books that I'd never returned, you know, like the ones that you buy at the start of the semester, and I would actually, you know, carry it to the ring with me. And like when the referee wasn't looking, I would hit somebody over the head with it, you know, like it, it all became a you know, part of yeah. the, just part of the character. And I was just about to say, I think wrestling does a really good job of storytelling. Yeah. And it gave me so much like, um, we call them promos, but people outside of it would call them monologues. It gave me so much material for those too, that it's just like, it, it was another way to stand out and make yourself different from everybody else there. But it also like, man, it was just so fascinating to dive into that stuff and something just jumps out at you. Like it was just a magical experience. And that actually segues into the question I was about to ask you is what is the correlation you see with voice acting and, and, you know, kind of doing the things that you're doing now and with wrestling? Man, I think the biggest thing that comes to it is that you have to bring your authentic self to it. You have to believe what you're doing. Otherwise, you're going to get lost in the shuffle. You're going to burn yourself out and you may even get run out because like you're just kind of going through the motions and that's not good. And I, it's so weird to say because it's changed a little bit now, but you know, back when I first started, there wasn't a real big family dynamic with wrestling. They would preach it, but the same people that would preach it would be the first ones to stab you in the back as soon as you turned around. So just being around that for so long, when I, when I finally dove into voice acting, I came in with my guard up, but again, everybody in the Bloomvox community are the ones that kind of help break that wall down. And then, you know, my improv family that I've met, some of them that have been on this show are the ones that finally just like took the rest of the dynamite and blew that wall up because it, it really is a family. And, you know, another famous voice actor named Richard, Richard Horwitz, um, he, he said that there's always a place at the table for everybody. If you have to extend the table, you extend the table. But there's not just one place that somebody's going to have to give up their spot to be there like it would be in wrestling. You, there's room for everybody, and what you bring to the table is so unique to you that nobody else can replicate it. Whereas in wrestling, you're told somebody has to give up their spot for you to have your spot. So having this family dynamic around it, and then having these well-known established legends in the industry solidifying that really broke it down but it also I think the biggest correlation is that it just allowed me to explore turning myself up past 10 on the volume dial and just bring that to characters bring that to reads and just make it unique to me but still have a little bit of fun with it and maybe not do it in revealing spandex but you know (laughs) Well, I, I think that's actually really um, a good point that you make because uh, it feels like at least 
with wrestling, when you see so many of them outside the ring and you get to know them mm-hmm. you know, outside the ring, it's very different from yeah, yeah. what you see. So it's, it's this personality, it's believing it and being in the moment. Um, you know, and I don't know whether this is uh, going to make you happy or not, but I, my cousin and I were big fans of The Rock. We'd go oh, around yelling at each it. other. Do you smell what The Rock is going? That's yes. the whole reason we saw the yes. Scorpion King because we just we loved Dwayne Johnson. So, um, and I've been watching uh, Young Rock, the series, oh, and so a lot good. of like a lot of what you're saying is just you see that like where you know it's no you have to do this here you know because right now it's this this person has to take the spotlight. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting, but. Um, I think that's uh, there's a very there is a correlation in the sense that you're you you like you said you're bringing this authentic self even though you're creating a character it's it's much more than that like if you don't believe it in the moment then the audience is going to know that you don't exactly. believe it exactly you know and they're going to hear it in your voice like oh that's not that sincere you know <laughs> it's um you know when you feel it and you're in the moment like oh, okay now now I I know now I know what the the character is is like I mean. I, I still, this is still one of the ones that's still so heartbreaking is, is uh, Simba watching, you know, Mufasa oh, die. God. Yeah. Uh, mm. Jonathan Taylor Thomas really tugged at your heartstrings on that one, you yeah. know, and you felt oh, it because God. it's, yeah. it has to be sincere. You know, you don't, it, it's not, not since if it's, if it's sincere, you feel it. I mean, it's the whole reason why we were just so, did that really just happen? You know, yeah. you're affected by it in the moment. And, um, I think that's very, very cool. Uh, that Absolutely. brings me to my other question is yes. what drew you to the voice acting community? Um, I think I'd had a fatuation with it going back to, man, I'd say at least maybe second, third grade. I think that was about the time that I discovered things like, you know, cow and chicken or two mm-hmm. stupid dogs, uh, the Simpsons. And then, you know, that magical, magical show called South Park, um, Sneaking up, you know, staying up late at night, turning the volume down where nobody could hear me watching it. And just (laughs) hearing all these voices, like I would start imitating them. And, you know, like my family would, it would entertain them. It would entertain my friends. And occasionally I get in trouble for like repeating or mocking one of my parents or something with one of the voices. But that, that, that love and everything was always there. And, uh, for a while before band took over my life, you know, towards the end of middle school and all through high school, I was doing, you know, like middle school drama and performing and all that, but I was still so shy that it was hard for me to come out of my shell on stage. But if I was cutting up with my friends, it was something completely different. But, you know, as I got older, um, obviously wrestling came along and kind of helped me get out of that, get out of that shy phase. I'm still pretty introverted. I'll keep to myself most of the time and recharge my social batteries. But I, I did that and... You know, I found out one of my neighbors does uh, commercial voiceover and narrations, and I started talking to him about it, and I guess Big Brother was listening because, lo and behold, like two days later, I find this ad for, you know, Steve Bloom and Bloomvox on my Facebook, and it says, have you thought about getting into voiceover? Not, you do not know how to get started. Take this one-hour master class with me, and, you know, I, I took that class with Steve, um... I think when I signed up, I got his meditation tracks with it too, which are amazing. And, um, I, you know, I started from there. And as soon as I did, I just dove into the archives uh, of Bloomvox. And, man, I just, I, I learned so much. And I almost became guilty of, you know, becoming the thinker, I guess, and not actually doing. Because I it took me about 
seven months before I actually started auditioning or got a, a booth set up, as you see here, anything like that. It took me that long, and had I not just said, screw it, and just started trying to have fun, you know, like or auditioning on Casting Call Club, I, I probably would have just been content sitting there going through the archives and learning all this knowledge, but not actually putting it to use, but... It really all started just because I was looking to fill the void that wrestling had left at the time when I thought I was done with it, and Steve's ad just pops up, and there we go. The rest is history. And I was going to ask you about this podcast. So Fire what? Um, what? I guess what was your aha moment for this podcast? So, man, this is such a, a fascinating thing because we're actually coming up, um, man, uh, I want to say within, gosh, maybe within the week of us recording this right now was actually one year ago um, at the place I work now, um, you know, doing administrative and security work, I was actually their first aid vendor and I was walking through, um, you know, doing the, the monthly first aid checks, all that fun stuff. And there's this giant podcast convention. Never even heard of it at the time. Never thought of anything like that being a thing. And I see these guys there that are on podcasts I listen to religiously. And it's just like, okay, you, you've talked to your friends about doing these things before. You've talked to, you know, you've had these ideas in your head, but you've never committed. You've never pulled the trigger. And you want to be here doing something like that, like that that little light bulb moment happened, and it's like, you know, like you're already voice acting. You want to use your voice to, to make a difference and, you know, provide for your family and just get out of the norm. Stop hesitating and do this. And the pieces kind of started coming together really quickly because um, I started thinking about my friends that are, are wrestlers that, are so, oh, so synonymously associated with these people that are at the big time levels right now and are future Hall of Famers that help them get there, but these people aren't there themselves or they were there for a little while but never got their just due and then they kind of just disappeared. Or voice actors that maybe do these commercials on TV but because they're not in a, in a big name franchise, people don't know who they are or they're just starting out and... They're trying to get to that next level, and they're they're doing everything, but you know nobody knows their name, but they should. And then same with teachers too, because the pandemic was still a thing. And like, what's it like teaching, especially teaching arts, when you have this stuff going on? And I had all these ideas running through my head about like things that maybe people don't think about the way they should, or the struggles that affect these people, and how they keep going through it all. And that was kind of just like my idea, and. I just started reaching out to people, said, hey, I, I've got this idea. Um, if if I go through with it, would you would you be interested in doing it? And lo and behold, like I even reached out to some people that I'd maybe just had one or two casual comments or conversations with, like um, Linda Young or Stephanie Nadolny, one of the first like big name guests on the show. Oh my and goodness. Wow. They they responded. <laughs> and, you know, it's just like, okay, um, cool. So like within two days of that, I had over 50 people that wanted to be guests on the show and I just took all their names down, started setting up dates and it's gone on like now where as we're recording this, season two uh, is going to drop not this coming Friday, but the Friday after 
and I've already got enough material in the can to get me through another year and half of a season after that because, like, there are so many people that have stories to tell, and on top of that, too, it's become a cathartic experience for me to come right out of the gate and talk about, like, my struggles with, you know, like, my family and marriage right after my first son was born and, you know, just, like, putting myself out there and addressing things that I don't normally talk about but should... It's just been so overwhelming and so cathartic, and it's helped me make new friends and then also realize, like, I still have a lot to learn about people that I've known for years, and, you know, again, I just feel like I've met so many kindred spirits that had I not jumped into voice acting, had I not become a professional wrestler, had I not started this podcast, I would never be blessed enough to know these people, and I just come away feeling, like, so fortunate by the time it's said and done that it's just a magical experience that all started because it took walking through a podcast convention that I think was actually sectioned off, but I just cut through anyway because I didn't care. And, you know, like, it it just took that to actually, like, light the fire under me to say, if you're going to do this, now's the time to do it. You've got equipment. Do something and just see what happens. And now here we are almost a year later. That's, that's actually really powerful. Um, you, you know, and I was going to say, don't feel bad if you were just watching the archives. I mean, I'll be very honest with you. I still haven't really auditioned for anything. Oh, really? Because <laughs> I, I just, I haven't, I never took the time to, you know, I didn't think I was ready. I didn't think right, I was right. at the stage where I didn't have the equipment. And I sat on waiting for this for so long. And I was just like, wow, I should have done this early on with mm-hmm. Pochki. Why didn't I do it? You know, where, where was I thinking like I just it was too expensive or what was the, you know, what was holding me back? And I can't really even pinpoint what it was, but I think it was just this, this ennui that had settled in, you know, with work, the pandemic and Mm -hmm. trying to get your, your, your life together. And, you know, at one point you realize it's like, what have you given up Yeah. in order to not pursue what you want or what, what else in your personal life have you given up because you were just working or, you know, you start to think about those things and, I think like I can relate to a lot of what you said, just things kind of opening up and, and, you know, meeting this kind of community. Never would I have thought, you know, it's that, is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Exactly. You know, like you feel like that. It's like, wait, what is happening? It really is. I don't don't think anybody got murdered, but I mean, it was still a magical experience. We didn't, we didn't do any of that, but we're just taking those two lines. (laughs) Of course, of course. Uh, don't sue me ghost of Freddie Mercury uh you know so but yeah I I think what you said makes a a lot of lot of sense um you you know so and congratulations on that on season two that's really amazing I'm just uh, my again my my goal from day one though is if it gets somebody's story out there or a, a struggle that myself or somebody else has gone through one of the audience members hears that and it helps them then or it encourages them to you know take that chance which again, like I, I, I said, you know, at the start of the show here, I, I'm offering that, you know, I, I don't even know if coaching is the right word, but I guess guidance to get people in the right direction because I've been guilty of dragging my feet on things and missing out on great opportunities. I don't want somebody else to do that. And I also don't want somebody to get taken advantage of by people that are just out there to take their money. So I want to, you know, get in their corner. I want to encourage them. I want to be their cheerleader. Maybe not wear the tutu and the pom-poms, but, you know, but just encourage them and get them on the right path. Get them connected to the right people so that they can live out their dreams too because 
if the world has more of that, it's going to be a better place. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it makes a difference hearing like-minded people because you don't absolutely. realize that you actually have much more in common with them until you hear yeah. them speak. And your and experiences that's, that's can rewarding. help people. Absolutely. Yeah. Man, great questions. How many? I, I lost count. How many was that? I, I, I asked some two-parter questions, so I don't know. Because <laughs> I think it was like three or four. But if you want to throw some more, if we want to round it out with that one, I'm cool either yeah. way because those were yeah, great. Yeah, I can, I can ask another two-parter and we'll just we'll call it even. Square by me. Let's go. So I wanted to ask you what was – a because you asked me what was my favorite anime. So I'm going to ask you um, what was an anime that changed your life? Okay. Um See, this is the one, and obviously I'm surrounded by a lot of things Dragon Ball right now. Dragon yeah, for Ball, me it's also, I, I should have mentioned DBZ was up yeah. there, but please that, continue. I, I think that's a given, but you yeah. know, it's like, it changed so much for me because it opened me up to like drawing and, you know, just seriously pursuing that. But it also introduced me to one that I, I think it's finally starting to get its due, um... But, you know, it's coming up on its 30-year anniversary. I love DBZ. So this is going to be like a 1-1-A one, one type of answer. But Yu Yu Hakusho was, is I was always say, up are there. You, are you talking about Yu Yes. Yu and I mean, it's just the storytelling of that, <clears throat> the investment in these characters, where I, I guess it's okay to give some spoilers now, like where you think, or like Tagoro kills Genkai. You think Tagoro kills Kuwabara. You know that since we kills Yusuke, but he comes back, you still watch those moments and they're so powerful that they pull you in. And that's an animation that does that to you. Like, it's so, it's so good. I don't know any other way to say it. And like some of my favorite voice actors are involved in it. And the, the elder Tagoro was probably like the, the seed being planted for like, the voice that I use on the Tales from the Haunt podcast or that I've used for multiple auditions that, that that everybody knows but I'm not going to do right now because I'm not properly warmed up. But, you know, it's just like that character alone, which was kind of like a secondary, maybe third-level character, had such a profound impact on me and it became fun to do. And it's just like the whole series is is pure magic. That's the only way I can say it. It's pure magic. It's great storytelling, and there there's tremendous character development throughout the whole thing. Yeah, I, I can I can completely relate to that. Um, I think that's wonderful. And then I was also because it was not a two parter question. I thought I had it in my head. I was going to say, was there if you read comics, um, was there something that you felt was like a comic that you think will still stand the test of time? Oh man. Okay, so yeah, go big or go home on this one. <laughs> Last are, we, question. are we talking uh, American comics or could manga be? Oh, event? absolutely, manga okay. can count. Then I'm I'm gonna go Dragon Ball manga on that because um, within the last year, you know, like I had the individual comics, I had the um, the Shonen Jump, you know, magazines that they would release back when you know Barnes and Noble was a thing around me before floods and all that happened. Uh, I would and get borders. those. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Where have they gone? But, um, you know, like, that was my big thing. So I, I still actually have a box of them in my closet over here in my studio. But within the last year, like, before Christmas, I actually went back and bought the um, 
the Dragon Ball, the Dragon Ball Z, like the the manga books, I bought them as a set, and I'm going back and rereading those, and it's just you forget some of the things they got away with in those things, uh, like as far as like the jokes and different things that happened. But like, man, reading those as a kid, I guess I blacked it out. But coming back to it now as an adult, it's like, oh boy. But hey, it's still funny. But you got to get used to reading uh, right to left again instead of reading left to right. But mm-hmm. man, the entire Dragon Ball franchise, especially with the super chapter uh, chapters they're releasing every month, it's got me hooked again because I- I'm all about this granola arc right now and seeing you know what's going on. I love the the manga for Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z yeah. just because I think the way that Toriyama tells the story, it's I almost find his his works more compelling than yes. the well, I do find it more compelling than the animation because I think the characters are a lot more put together. Absolutely. Bulma's way more sciencey in yes. the manga. She's a lot more intelligent and she actually earns Vegeta's respect. Yep. Not his contempt. Um, and we also see that Vegeta's a lot calmer. He oh, yeah. um, does not he does not make light of what happened on Namek at no. all. He's not mocking. He doesn't pick a fight with Gohan. He doesn't blow up some bug planet. Um, nope. And I think it's even in the the manga where he's just kind of more mysterious. You really don't get as much background yeah. stuff as the the anime does. Which I mean, some parts are funny and they're they're interesting to watch. But you get to kind of keep the mystery, the Absolutely. elusiveness of who he is and he's you know i think in the the anime he says something to the effect of when trunks is like why didn't you save you know bulma and your son and he says like oh please like i don't you know i don't care about that that foolish woman and her blasted child he says something very different in the manga he just says ridiculous i have no no use for sentiment in battle like that's a very different context absolutely it's a very sane way of doing things very see in in the manga the entire time and and they maintain this in the anime that Balma's very confident that he would yep. never do anything to hurt them. So I think there's an unspoken agreement in yeah. there too. So we don't really get to see that play out as much in the the anime. And I feel like she she acts a lot more girlish than she does more grown up in the right. manga. So when I went back and read it, because I just reread the entire Z series and I've been watching the anime and I'm catching all these differences and I'm just like, even the fight sequences look and yeah. feel more intense in the manga when I read it. Like my shoulders start to go up and I'm going, well, yes. I just downloaded the Shonen Jump app. So yes. that's where I've been reading it because I don't have space for it. I would totally buy it. I, I, I know the it. feeling all too well. I, it's still kind of just like sitting off over here off camera. I haven't put it on the shelf yet because I've got to find space for it. But I have I mean, some, but yeah, I but feel you. You're exactly right too. And I think like, especially like with the Vegeta Bulma dynamic, they addressed it in the anime as Saiyans being attracted to uh, strong-minded women, I think is the way they said it. Like, because it explained the Goku and Chi-Chi dynamic as well. But uh, again, there are so many different things because like Vegeta acknowledging Namek comes full circle in the, um, I believe it's the Moro arc that came out last year for the manga he atones for that again because, again, they end up back on Namek. Not to give any spoilers for anybody that hasn't read it. But on top of that, too, the fight sequences are very different because Tournament of Power. Gohan is the one that eliminates uh, Kefla from the tournament, not Goku. And on top of that, he's wearing Piccolo's training outfit, not Goku's. And Master Roshi lasts with Jiren. How You know, like... Stuff we didn't get to see I'm in the anime. That would from, have been I, so I know cool. what you're talking about, but yeah. I haven't um, read too much of Super, or oh. um, I'm not as familiar. I know what you're talking about. I think for me, I'm I'm not like 
always a purist, but I think yeah. I tend to be a little bit more of a purist on this just because I have this memory and this image of the way that the characters are. Absolutely. And I think also, I feel like the change that I saw from what little I've seen in Super between the, you know, Goku of the manga and Z versus yeah. Super, I feel like I prefer the Goku of, you know, uh, Z just because that was... Yeah, that was my Goku. I, I know it's being very like, you know, particular, but I mean, I can appreciate some of the cute elements that absolutely, that absolutely. has. Um, but I think that the, the manga itself of Dragon Ball Z was just, you can read it so quickly. And because there's no filler, you're yeah. just like, oh my yeah. gosh, it just keeps going and going and going. Um, and, and there's so much, there's so much mystery uh, in it. And, yes. and I mean, Goku retains his whimsy, which we know is kind of just like the monkey king from the journey to the West. Yes, you know, that you was... see a lot of that um, in there. So oddly enough, uh, that that's where I was going to go before I dovetailed on that little tirade. Um, I actually learned about that in one of my, um, it was a, actually, I think it was a childhood literature class that I took and um, we read a, it was a graphic novel called American born Chinese that was based off of the legend of the monkey king. And, I started doing research for it, and oddly enough, one of the links I found was how Dragon Ball was mm -hmm. based off the legend of the Monkey King, and then you find, like, there are books now that talk about these different elements of religion and worldviews that Dragon Ball pulled from to mm -hmm. make the story, and it really just fleshes out how well done it really is. And I love that it's become sort of this big part of the culture, and in some ways, you know, I see how super because they focus on the next generation. Like you're, you know, you're, if you have kids uh, or if you know people who have kids that they can enjoy some of these things yeah. with you. Because if you mention Goku or Gohan or, you know, Vegeta or whoever, they recognize, they know who they are, yep. you know, um, in the same way that it, I'm sure parents, uh, people from the eighties that are introducing their kids to the Star Trek, the next generation, you know, mm -hmm. you say Commander Riker or you say Captain Picard, people know who you're talking oh, about. Yeah. And that is, I think we're coming back full circle where we're just like, it's, it feels like you're heard and you're seen yes. as a geek and, and it's like you made it. You're not, That's you're not made fun of for wearing the shirt. You're giving the thumbs up or somebody tells you, Hey, I like that shirt. And yeah. it, it's cool. It, it's all cool, man. That's, that's what it comes down to. I love that. Absolutely. Well, and did I, did I mean, did I ask some good questions? Oh, you asked some <laughs> great questions. And again, I love to, the diversity that comes every time like we do this segment because I, I I say it till I'm blue in the face. I don't know what you're gonna ask me ahead of time. And I've even had guests that don't even know what they're gonna ask me ahead of time. And it, it's it puts me on the spot. It keeps it fun and I come out smiling on the other side of it. So there's always diversity and there's always stuff that makes me think, but it's always so fun and that's what I'm looking for. So this was a blast. This was absolutely amazing because I, I mean, I wouldn't, I had no idea what I was going to ask you and I had no idea what you were going to ask me, but the questions started to arise as we love kept talking and, you know, I really appreciate the questions and of course. thank you so much. I'm very humbled to oh, be my, here to, you pleasure. know, to be on your podcast because I love what you do and you. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing all the the interviews Absolutely. that you've done of the other Pochki cast members, yes. and also just hearing, you know, I want to, I, I, I believe in binging, so I'm going to oh, binge yes. listen to to all the episodes. Well, I will make sure you've got plenty to binge on there, and I will also promise too for our listeners, if you haven't yet, 
Like all of our other Pochki guests, I'm going to have links to the Pochki Audio Chronicles in the show notes. You know I'm going to make it easy for you. So if you haven't already, go like, subscribe, enjoy, and just share it with your friends that may need a good laugh or may want to hear a good story. It's good quality stuff, and Jeff's over here shaking his head. He's giving you the thumbs up. He says, do it, or else he's going to come at you in the tutu, and then he's going to force you to do it. So... You can either go willingly and enjoy, or Jeff can force you. There may be a power outage in there, too. I don't know. But the, the fact of the matter is, guys, it's good quality stuff. My friends are doing something great here, and they're giving it to you for free. So go check it out. Go support. Enjoy the laughs. And also check out the other cast member interviews on this show, because everybody has such a great story to tell, and everybody... Has, they talk about their great experiences on this show. So, I mean, you can just tell the love and the passion and the family dynamic that is there. So go check it out. Go enjoy it. And you're probably tired of hearing me, like, thinking I'm overhyping it, but I can't hype it enough. This is good quality stuff. So go check it out. And I know you hear me on that. But, but Vonnie, in all seriousness, man, I, well, actually, I have one last question for you. Sure. Ser- serious question here. This may change the world. I don't know. For your episode graphic, would you like it to say Vonnie Neal or would you like it to say Von Diesel? Oh, goodness. Um. <laughs> because Jeff will make it happen. You just have to tell me which one you want it to say. I, I think we should probably keep my, my name Vonnie Neal just because I think um, I think we have a we have a. We have a Vin Diesel out there. So we do Vonnie Neal. I can't I can't take that away. However, however, we could use Von Diesel to give Eric the idea to create uh, the Potch and the Furious. I don't, I don't know. No, maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> that, that is pretty funny. Oh, um, man. Maybe that I mean, French. We, we had an episode called Too Fast, Too Furry uh, in oh, God. You know, season one. Was it about Jeff? No. <laughs> I mean, you're going to you're gonna have to listen and uh, tell me what you think. I, I had to do all kinds of oh, interesting yeah. vocal uh, things in there that – I never thought I would be, I looked at this and I went, is this real? Like, do I really have to say these things? Like, I don't even know how to, okay, we're going to go for it. That's the best. <laughs> that is happen. the best. And that is a it great episode. But of course, Jeff can't hear the reference that I made there because he forgot his headphones. So it's all in good fun. But you guys <laughs> can go listen to it. And maybe when Jeff hears this, he'll catch the reference too. But man, this has been a blast. And I can't thank you enough for, you know, not only being excited to be here, but taking the time to come on tell your story, have some fun. And just, again, I feel like I'm talking to an old friend. So thank you so much. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. Of course. And we're going to have links to everything you want linked in the show notes. So our listeners are going to have an easy way to get connected with you, to keep up with what you've got going on, keep up with the Pochki Audio Chronicles and just everything we've got going on here. So guys, you know the deal. I love making it easy for you. Go get connected. Go support. Hit that five-star review. Share it. Subscribe. Do all that fun stuff. Help support these shows because it's free to do. You get some free entertainment out of it, and it makes the world a better place. Wouldn't you say so, Jeff? Jeff gives the thumbs up. The Jeff approves. But, man, this has been an absolute blast, Vonnie. So thank you so much. And... Everybody, you know the deal. Go check the merch. Go subscribe. Go do all that fun stuff. Get connected on social media. Connect with Vonnie. And don't forget to be back here next time for another awesome episode. So for myself, for Vonnie, we both encourage you to go out and do some good in the world. Be good to yourself. 
have some fun, and be back here next week for another awesome interview. Vani, thank you again. Thank you so much. Of course. And everybody, we'll talk to you next week. And I know you hear me. The I Know You Hear Me podcast is a presentation of Flynn Hendricks Enterprises. We thank you for tuning in this week, and we hope you'll check out our sponsors and advertisers. Make sure you check us out next week as we come back at the same time with another awesome episode.